1: I've scared myself over and over and again. I've made myself cry over <laughs> Really? And over again. Oh my god! Yeah,
0: it's so hard for me to picture you feeling afraid because you're just such a like big dude.
1: <laughs>
0: Heyo, Lulu here. But the other day, I sat down with Radiolab's director of sound design, Dylan Keefe.
1: It was late at night. I was mixing this piece on zombies to
0: talk to him about.
1: Super freaked out.
0: What he actually does on our show. <laughs>
1: Well, at first Which was
0: something I tools, thought I understood. He I smooths bit, out the cuts in the dialogue. He writes pretty mind. music. Um, but, but when he actually started um, explaining it to me, I realized like an argument I had to be no made idea.
1: Right from dialogue editing, we are deciding, like, how much humanity do we want to be presenting to people, hmm.
0: if what do you mean?
1: Uh, well, if someone feels particularly nervous being on the air, for example, you might want to, for the sake of the story, allow that nervousness to breathe. You might want. And the
0: more he the the talked about, about what he that was that doing, the more I started to see how the choices he was making about pacing, with
1: timing and the right mood
0: or music,
1: I can draw some sort of emotional qualities out of the words.
0: We're. Journalistic ones. Like he is sitting there thinking really hard about how to give listeners a slice of complexity, both what a person is intentionally saying with their words and unintentionally revealing with their behaviors.
1: Yeah, totally.
0: It kind of blew my mind. And the thing is, Dylan is just one of 22 people on this team thinking obsessively about every choice they make in the name of bringing you audio that showcases complexity, that makes you feel, that doesn't waste your time, teaches you something new. And I'm just coming on here for one last time during the fall pledge season to say that if work like this matters to you, now is an amazing time to support us. The best way to do it is to join our membership program, The Lab. I will admit, I don't usually sign up for these things, but it is super easy. You just go to radiolab.org slash join, radiolab.org slash join. You commit to putting in a few bucks a month, maybe like a couple packs of Skittles a month or like a couple uh, butternut squashes a month. Anyway, whatever. You go on there. You choose the amount that's right for you. doesn't need to be a lot. And if you do it by the end of September, you will get a very cool T-shirt mailed directly to your door. You also get extra interviews, like the whole conversation I had with Dylan about creativity and sound and complexity, invites to special events, other perks. But what you are really getting is supporting a show that cares about making you care. So one more time, if you want to check it out. Radiolab.org slash join. Join the party. Thanks for listening. On with today's show.
1: Uh, wait, you're listening. Okay. All right. Okay. All right. You're listening oh. to Radiolab. Lab. Radiolab. From WNYC.
2: See? Si. Si. Si? Yeah.
0: Si. Okay, Latif, hello.
3: Hello. Welcome. Thanks.
0: To Radiolab. Uh, where am I? <laughs> while you were on vacation, mm-hmm. I got into some reporting hijinks. Okay. okay. Well, where did you go on vacation?
3: I went to Iceland.
0: Okay. So as you were like flying down over the island, your family's all beside you, I'm guessing, covered in snacks. Underneath you, in the ocean, mm-hmm. there was a pretty stunning and kind of terrifying thing happening. Okay, And you were gone, and I was curious, so I decided to plunge in, so to speak. Okay. There he is with all (laughs) his books. You look like such a mad librarian. Yeah.
2: Anyway, hey, Hank, I got my...
0: I also brought Soren, our editor, with me, and together we called up the guy who I first heard about all this from.
4: I'm Hank Green. I make internet content. (laughs)
0: Like.
4: I make a lot of science uh, TikToks and tweets and YouTube videos.
0: You familiar with this gentleman?
4: Yeah, of course.
2: I I feel like he's one of the smarter people out there doing science stuff online. Like, he's the host of uh, the YouTube channel SciShow. Yeah. But he's also written novels and uh, founded several media companies. Yeah. Busy guy.
0: Well, we are so... Thank you. We know you didn't really want to do this.
4: (laughs) (laughs) I wanted to... I just wanted to be very clear... Um, where I was coming from.
0: This story is going to get a little tricky, but it all started for Hank in the middle of summer 2023, which was a pretty depressing one on the climate change front. The hottest June on record, followed by the hottest July on record. And for Hank in particular.
4: Mentally, I was in a weird spot. I mean, I was in the midst of being treated for cancer. And during chemo, and I'm through it now, um, during chemo, I had about... A week of being completely useless when I would only consume content and then like maybe four or five days when I felt good enough to like make stuff. And Hank says he would spend a lot of his downtime sort of just reading, researching, looking online. And I had been confronted by a a lot of really sort of apocalyptic We
3: are reaching the end.
4: Doomsday prepper kind of people on TikTok
3: having a panic attack for the last hour. Um,
4: who were looking at the temperature of the North Atlantic Ocean
3: unprecedented warming
4: and it was hotter than it had ever been ever been in recorded history and things are only getting worse
0: it's not good that the Holocene extinction the sixth extinction event is probably starting
3: now I'm going to explain this with a visual and
0: all of these TikTokers are pointing to this one
3: chart
2: and here I can show it to you right here
3: oh you just shared it to me okay yeah okay
2: so it's basically a graph of the, the sea surface temperatures in the North Atlantic right. over the last couple of decades. It's kind of a
3: pretty graph. Yeah.
2: And it's a bunch of squiggly blue lines going up and down. And that's sort of the seasonal change. And then you can see the averages going up over time. But then
4: there's a red line, which is this year. Mm-hmm. And that line is creeping up, up, up. And then it has a spike.
2: Sudden red.
4: Uh-oh. Yeah.
3: Yeah.
0: And that line is like way above the average even the seasonal ups and downs
3: it's not even close like the the high jumper has cleared the pole yeah yeah
2: and this spike is happening over the course of months or weeks or i think it's days days oh an
0: existential threat to everything we know so
2: all the tiktokers are basically like this is it it's happening now this is us falling over the cliff we're falling over the
4: cliff
0: figure out your relationship with jesus christ and are you watching this stuff literally, like, while you're getting chemo? Or yeah, you... I
4: probably didn't see it, like, during the moment when the chemo was going into my body. But certainly during the times when be I when was... does when people doom scroll was there. Just picturing, like... <laughs> yeah. <it was>. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, um, so I'd seen this, and... Are we all about to die? You may have seen this graph. Uh, if you haven't, I'm sorry, I'm the one... And Hank decides to hop on TikTok himself. Like, I, I made a little series that was, like, trying to... Like, contextualize it. We're not there yet. We're not anywhere close to there yet. At the time, I was seeing, and I was like, I don't, like, it. probably just some kind of natural variation, where it's, like, cooler than average right now in some parts of the world, and it's hotter than average in other parts. And also, we're entering on, on El Nino. So El Nino is just, like, a warmer climate time, generally. And you take one little spot on the globe, and blips happen. You know, there's natural variation across the Earth.
3: I don't know. That That doesn't mean we shouldn't be worried. Like now is not the time to say, it, uh, hey, it's getting a lot warmer, but no big deal. Totally. And and to be
0: clear, Hank takes this stuff very seriously.
3: As a person
4: who's been worried about climate change for the my dad was the state director of the Nature Conservancy in Florida when I was growing up. So, like, we're a family of environmentalists. My mom's a sociologist who worked on sustainability, like and I'm like, I have a degree in environmental studies uh, like I've been. In this for a long time, and it's very scary. This is like (laughs) like this is the biggest problem humanity has ever faced. But you know, there's sort of a debate that's like: Do we need to get people more scared about climate change, or do we need to get people more hopeful about climate change? Because you go around a bend eventually, where it's like there's nothing to be done, and I will just be hopeless and sad. And I think a lot of people are there.
0: Right. If you're too scared, you like tip into nihilism kind of.
4: Yeah. And this is like it's going to be like a bell curve of worry that we're all on somewhere. And in order to get like everybody to the appropriate amount of worry, we're always pushing some people to way too worried. And like there's like not really too worried about climate change until and unless you give up on trying to. Solve the problem. Mm-hmm. So, like, I'm. So,
0: according to Hank, when it came to this temperature spike in the North Atlantic, his sense was that these people online were being way too alarmist.
4: There was a sort of a mathematics of gambling guy, <laughs> um, which isn't really a climate scientist, as you might expect, who who was getting a lot of traction by tweeting about how this was a really big deal. And then he was getting like on the news. Huh. And so Hank thought maybe this is a moment to
2: dampen rather than, you know, Fan the flames. able to
4: act because that takes time.
2: But also keep the conversation focused on things that we might be able to do. Over
4: the next week or two on my TikTok, I'm going to make some videos about the things that we are actually doing right now and will be doing in the future to help take care of this.
0: So that is how Hank is spending this hot, hot summer. Going through chemo, holding a candle for hope, battling climate nihilism, And then?
4: I was scrolling science news in bed late at night, like, before (laughs) going to sleep. Like, I do. (laughs) Um.
0: Yep he comes across a link to an article that made him sit straight up in bed.
4: Yeah. Um, It's like 11 o'clock at night. I have to get up at (laughs) 7.30 in the morning and I'm like, oh, I'm going to read
3: a lot right now. (laughs) Uh,
0: (laughs) Okay, so the thing he sees, it's this article in Science, it's a write-up of three recent studies and what they found is that the spike in the North Atlantic sea temperatures, this, like, troublingly warming water.
3: This year's spike. That one we were talking about, This year's recent spike
0: may have been caused by this thing, which is that a few years ago, the UN put into place some regulations that forced cargo ships to start burning cleaner fuel to, you know, reduce the pollution that they make. And that, doing that good thing, these papers said, that caused the water to get warmer.
3: Yeah. Wait, so, so they're saying that getting rid of pollution that you would think would make the problem better is actually, in this one spot for a while at least, making the problem worse. Right. How?
0: All right. So let's go back to before this regulation, this change had happened, all these Big, hulky cargo ships are crisscrossing the North Atlantic, chugging along with their big smokestacks, puffing out big plumes of smoggy smoke.
4: Cargo ships burn, like, the dirtiest oil. It's like the oil that's left at the bottom. Like that
0: mayonnaise black mayonnaise Yeah, you have like, to, like, whoa.
4: heat it up yeah. before it'll even flow, kind of oil.
0: And so there's all this carbon dioxide going out into the air, of course, but there is also all this sulfur dioxide going out into the air. Okay. And that's horrible.
4: Sulfur dioxide is bad for people. It's like it's bad to breathe. And then it also is also bad for the environment because it it turns into sulfuric acid when it mixes with water and then it falls down to the earth as acid rain. So that's where acid rain comes mm, from. Right. Which is which is why the UN wanted to regulate it.
0: But it turns out that in addition to being horrible for human health and making acid rain, sulfur dioxide also does something
4: else. It actually can seed clouds. As the ship goes by and it pumps the sulfur dioxide up, you can see, just like kind of a contrail that a jet would leave behind, you can see they're called ship tracks. Hank actually showed us a a picture of this that
2: was taken from, from space.
0: These tracks are, like, so big. It just looks like giant zebra stripes over the ocean of just white.
4: When there's the right amount of heat and water in the air, you get all of these extra clouds that you normally wouldn't get. Okay. And the clouds reflect the energy of the sun into space. So instead of hitting the water and heating up the surface of the ocean, it hits a cloud. You know, you could think of it just like a very thin um, umbrella. And then there's a shadow on the ocean. Which keeps the water at least a little bit cooler.
0: So, you, so suddenly you take that away, you burn cleaner fuel, and then it's like taking away the beach umbrella. You're suddenly just, you're the ocean oh, and the ocean is getting blasted by the sun.
4: Got it. It's not unanticipated. This is actually something that climate scientists have known about for, for decades, but it not non-intuitive. And what this means is that overall, we have not seen the actual full effects of The carbon dioxide it's like the the warming from carbon dioxide
2: has been worse than you thought up to now it's just been sort of hidden by all the dirty clouds that we've had blocking light
3: right
2: and if you get rid of that you're going to realize just how bad it really is right yeah um, and...
0: That feels like, oh, things are, this is doomy, like, I don't... This now like, seems oh, like a doom snogging. on a like, doom yeah, to me, Yeah, right? I
3: like, agree. I feel like it's a double-decker doom, yeah. We're just gonna
0: burn, like, we're, I go to more denialism.
3: I mean, I, I was,
4: I found this very exciting and, like, fascinating.
0: But, not Hank Green. He reads this study and sees a silver lining. A literal silver lining. In the smog cloud.
4: A a smog cloud that isn't there anymore. Right. The thing that excited me the most about it is we did it and then we undid it in order to make life better for people who are now not breathing that sulfur dioxide into their lungs. But now we have a chance to study what that looks like.
0: He sees these papers and he's like, we have just done a pretty monumental experiment. Yeah. Because for decades we had been letting these ships put out these polluting smoggy smoke trails which just so happened to act like umbrellas and shade the ocean and now that we've taken the umbrella away we can measure how big or small that cooling effect was
4: but then the broader the broader question is can you then if we were doing it before and, it, and we know what the effect was. Can you then find another better way to do it intentionally without putting the acid rain
3: stuff, smoggy stuff in the air? Huh. So, like, like can we find a cleaner way to do the cloud umbrella just on purpose this time? Yeah.
0: So it's like ele- he reads a ton more. He gets really excited. He goes to bed and dreams of, like, data and hope and ships. Okay. And then he wakes up the next day and fires out this, like, big Twitter thread kind of explaining what he sees.
4: And, oh boy. <laughs>
0: <laughs> when we come back, we are headed straight into the hot water that Hank's hopes landed him in. Stick with us. Ooh. Start the process in minutes and switch therapists anytime. Learn how to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com Radiolab today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Radiolab.
3: Hi, I'm Adam Grant, host of the podcast Rethinking, a show where I talk to some of today's greatest thinkers about the unconventional ways they see the world. On Rethinking, you'll get surprising insights from scientists, leaders, artists, and more people like Reese Witherspoon, Malcolm Gladwell, and Yo-Yo Ma. Hear lessons to help you find success at work, build better relationships, and more. Find Rethinking wherever you get your podcasts. Lulu. Latif. Radiolab. We're back talking with Hank Green alongside our editor, Soren Wheeler. And Hank has just hit publish on a long Twitter thread explaining how we might be able to learn something about how to make clouds to keep the ocean cool. Mm -hmm. Do you remember you put out a thread and then somebody
2: writes back? No, 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 no. God, no, God, no, 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 Hank, no, no, Hank, Hank, stop. No, Hank, bad Hank. Go. (laughs) Do you remember the first one you read and how it it might have been that felt? Yeah, <laughs> that yeah. was, by the way, a I, uh, quoted. Tweet. No, there was only like three. No,
4: I think it was no, no, no. <laughs> I think it was the tweet. <laughs> I mean, certainly, it triggered. Like, please explain to me what I have stepped in here.
0: So what Hank had stepped in was a heated and sometimes vicious debate. Says that
3: this whole line of research is unethical and a bad idea. Among
0: climate activists, it's
3: a sign of desperation.
0: And climate scientists, cats out of the bag. People know these, these options exist. Sometimes about a little thing called geoengineering. This would not be the first choice. No, no, or third or fourth choice. So geoengineering 101, what is it, first of all?
4: So yeah, the, uh, geoengineering is just any way that you would change the planet intentionally. But, but in general, when it comes to climate change, we're talking about decreasing the amount of heat in the system of the planet.
2: Well, like, Just do whatever you can to cool things down.
4: Right. And the simplest way you could imagine is like putting a giant mirror in space and reflecting some of the sun's light back. And then there's like a shadow on the planet in that area. Like, that's not really what is being proposed. But but
0: Okay, I will say that until very recently, I thought this work of geoengineering was kind of like futile hubris. Like, you read these stories of people in the 19th century shooting Mm -hmm. cannons into clouds to try to get rain to reduce drought. Or, like, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I read about, like, the Moscow mayor, Yuri Luzov, trying to spray (laughs) a mist of cement on clouds to prevent snowfall. Yeah,
3: a mist of cement is never a phrase I thought I would ever hear. So,
0: like... To me, I thought geoengineering was like not actually that realistic. But what I've learned in talking to Hank and digging into all this stuff is that no, the technology is there now. And there are some serious proposals from serious people being entertained seriously, including a proposal,
2: to put sulfur
4: dioxide in the stratosphere.
2: Mm. Now, to be clear, I mean, like Hank points out that is very different than the ship clouds he got excited about because those are lower down, they're local, and they disappear on the scale of days. Whereas sulfur dioxide in the stratosphere
4: would float around the whole planet and be a very thin umbrella wherever it ends up. And also in the stratosphere, it would stay there for a long time. How long? Like years. And there's a lot about this that we we just don't know. Like we don't know exactly what's going to get coolest, what's going to get warmer. We don't know how diseases are going to move around in that world.
0: So there are a lot of people who understandably when geoengineering comes up are like no 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 because they're thinking about these unintended consequences, you know, and there's scientists who study this stuff. Like if the tropics cool they might dry out and then you have less monsoon and then you get crop shortage. Right. And like then it, you actually might get more dust.
4: Right, 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 right. There is going to be a chance that it's really bad for everyone, that you set off something that you didn't intend to set off. And then there's also the problem of there are going to be people who did not decide to do this who are going to be negatively impacted. Right. A hubris is is like that. that like we finally found the textbook definition, you know, like let's change the whole planet the only one we have, and just hope.
0: So Hank is like, yeah, global geoengineering, where you don't know what the effects are, that's bad.
4: Yeah, it's terrifying. But the opportunity to learn a bunch about this extra cloud formation over the last decades, here's an area of the planet that's like, we created clouds on, and now we're not creating clouds on it anymore. And we get to see what the effect of that is
2: hank's point is that we can take this smaller local thing that already happened look at the data and find out did it have no effect or half the effect we thought or only over here but it turned out in the long term it had a different effect those are all questions that would be really useful to know the answers to
4: the the opportunity to study this is huge and i don't like i don't know how else we'd get data like this
3: so he's not saying do it he's just saying like research it
0: But that brings us to the other flavor of anger Hank was seeing in response to his thread.
4: There were people who were like, shh, don't tell people about this.
0: There are some people, including climate scientists, who say we shouldn't even talk about geoengineering, like at all.
4: Yeah, that um, their main thing is you don't give the fossil fuel industry a way out that's not... Don't burn fossil fuels anymore.
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because that's the, not not to not to belittle that. Because like that's the trap. That's that is like a purposeful playbook yeah. pioneered by the tobacco industry. You know, it, it cast doubt, uh, but also point in every direction at any possible shiny thing you can that right. will distract from the one thing, the one big thing that you are doing that we actually need to change for anything to get better. Yeah, and I've seen it and i
4: saw it in response to that thread i saw people say see environmentalists were wrong the whole time we shouldn't be doing all of this extra work we can keep burning fossil fuels let's just put sulfur dioxide in the atmosphere and, and solve the problem that way fossil fuels are fine like i saw
3: that even as you all are describing geoengineering like my back gets thrown up and i'm like oh god like i'm i'm nervous about that i'm nervous about talking about this
0: yeah no i i i i hear it like and i think it's a real question Whether it's dangerous to even talk about geoengineering in case people think, oh, okay, let's let's go ahead and do that. Or they think it means that they don't have to worry about reducing fossil fuel emissions. But,
4: oh, if we don't talk about it, they'll still find it and they will joyfully misinterpret it. And it will be the first time a lot of people hear about it. Yeah. And I'd rather have it the first time that people hear about it be from somebody who is perfectly aware that climate change is real (laughs) and i i especially think that like your first exposure to an idea should be a complex one hank's argument is basically because
2: geoengineering is already in the room we need to know how to talk about it
4: we need to figure out whether and how we can do this like if we should we have to make the decision If we should, because
2: Hank says there might come a point where in addition to solving the global long-term problem, we might need to deal with some more local, more short-term
4: problems. One of the biggest problems with global warming is going to be heat. Like there's going to be places where it is too hot for people to live without air conditioning. And in those places, if the power goes out, people will just die. Like, like, in, in ways that we've never seen, like heat ha- kills people already, but like that we like we need to be confronting the reality that like heat is very deadly and there are going to be people who are going to be thinking like, are, is there a way to just make it less hot right here, right now?
2: Yeah, but you do, but you don't want to go back to putting sulfur dioxide into the atmosphere I mean
4: but like you could do it with other stuff so oh. you could also potentially though this has not been researched as much as it needs to be just shoot seawater into the air which is around like there's a lot of seawater <laughs> uh, when you're on the ocean you just pump it up and it tends
0: to be near and, and
4: mist it into the air huh. maybe even pump it to where the smokestack is so that it gets hot and goes higher huh. and then the salt, Actually, concede the cloud, or the water droplet itself, concede the cloud, and seawater uh, universally known to be not so bad for the ocean.
0: And you'd get your umbrella made of like virginal seawater. That sounds <laughs> yeah. so great. They're
4: doing it in Australia right now. It's called apparently
0: marine cloud brightening.
4: Yes. So in in Australia, there is a small scale experiment that's just trying to make the clouds over the Great Barrier Reef brighter Hmm. to try and save the Great Barrier Reef. Try to put a little bit of a cool on that and slow things down? Oh. Mm -hmm.
0: Like, that sounds really, like, benevolent and okay. Isn't
4: that interesting that it sounds benevolent okay? Because maybe it isn't. Like, even if it's local, even if if it's temporary, we don't know all the impacts that it's gonna have. Like, you could end up in a world where you, you know, the climate changes in a way that makes it really bad for a certain crop or that makes it really good for a certain disease. And like, you wouldn't have thought of that one and now you've heard it, but what are the ones you haven't thought
3: of?
0: Yeah. Like, I will admit I had a conversion this whole journey these past like three weeks of seeing the tweet, researching, getting ready to talk to you, which was that I was like, this is so cool. Everyone needs to know about it. But like, I feel really torn now because on one hand, like a ship with some salt spraying feels fine and nice and lovely, Mm -hmm. but then it's like, is that just a a shiny distraction? Like, And and more than that, when it comes to nature, there are just, as you were saying, there's so many things we don't know that we don't even know we don't know, and the stakes couldn't be higher. When I think about any chance that someone out there could take this wrong or hear this wrong or decide to jump in whole hog... I'm almost like just put it back in the box.
2: We can't, though. That's not ours. But that's not for us to do. I know, we, but
0: like, can't we just be it, like,
2: no, no, well, like human cloning, like, God, yeah, like, we what if we're we just can like, put, don't,
4: like, yeah. We there's things we've we, we, we keep in boxes sh- um uh, yeah, for, like for a I, little while at least. The three of us I, shushing is not gonna on put that? anything so in the What would you say to like, me? Yeah.
0: Because part of me is like, you're leaving, I'm gonna press delete. Like like yeah. uh, what would you say to me who's like actually kind of tipping over into the like I see the terror of even talking about it?
4: You know, the reality is that we are doing geoengineering right now, just recklessly and thoughtlessly and for capitalist like, reasons,
0: but that's not like deliberate geoengineering, right? That's like no. It, so it, it's we not you. You can't call it
4: geoengineering. Been, right. you, like it's just it's like geo screwing around. Delirium.
0: Yeah. <laughs> like, but we are changing the climate. So you're saying we already do it already.
4: Also, like what we all know is that we should put less CO two into the atmosphere, and also we should take CO two out. So that's gonna. Probably be necessary. Like it isn't just going to be taking, it isn't just going to be stopping producing it. It's going to be taking it out and taking CO2 out of the atmosphere is geoengineering. Geo-engineer.
0: Yeah, like carbon capture stuff.
4: And it will have negative impacts on some people uh, as well as positive impacts on others. Like we're okay with that. So, like, that's a geoengineering that we're okay with. And we have to figure out like where we're not okay. And I am not here to convince Lulu Miller that geoengineering is a good idea. Like, I would love for someone to convince me which way I should feel, because I don't know.
3: Um, I definitely think we should study it.
2: And talk about it. Yeah. Yeah.
3: I mean, so long as we're talking about the real problem and real solution at the same time. Yeah. Right. But, like, I don't think that we can make a decision by ignoring it.
0: That is, like, literally, I was talking about that in therapy this morning. So, (laughs) yeah, point taken. Don't just ignore it. Mm-hmm. So I see your point. That's like you, the talking about it could help us to really shut it down.
4: Uh, or to to to, under, to take, at least to take the chance uh, with this North Atlantic situation to understand it better. The difference between how bad it is now and how bad it, is, it could get is very big. And weirdly, that makes me hopeful because it means that there's slack and... I don't know I like really I believe in humanity I think that we're remarkable problem solving machines when we recognize problems and uh, look for truth and work together and you know that's what science is
3: about. Thank you to Hank Green for coming on to talk to us about this.
0: Big thanks also to Dr. Colin Carson at Georgetown, who studies the potential chain effects of geoengineering, and to Avishai Artsy.
3: This episode was reported by Lulu Miller with help from Alyssa Jung Perry.
0: It was also produced with help from Alyssa Jung Perry with music and mixing help from Jeremy Bloom.
3: This is Radio Lab. Thanks for listening.
2: Radio Lab was created by Jad Abumrad and is edited by Soren Wheeler. Lulu Miller and Latif Nasser are our co-hosts. Dylan Keefe is our director of sound design. Our staff includes Simon Adler, Jeremy Bloom, Becca Bressler, Aketi Foster-Keys, W. Harry Fortuna, David Gable, Maria Paz Gutierrez, Sindhu Nyana Sambadam, Matt Kilty, Annie McEwan, Alex Neeson, Sara Kari, Anna Roskiewicz-Paz, Alyssa Jong-Perry, Sarah Sambach, Arianne Wack, Pat Walters, and Molly Webster. With help from Timmy Broderick. Our fact checkers are Diane Kelly,
3: Emily Krieger, and Natalie Middleton.
4: Hi, this is Tamara
0: from Pasadena, California. Leadership support for Radiolab Science Programming is provided by the Gordon and Betty Moore Foundation, Science Sandbox, a Simons Foundation initiative, and the John Templeton Foundation. Foundational support for Radiolab was provided by the Alfred P. Sloan Foundation.